Welcome to Breaking Banks, the number one global fintech radio show and podcast. I'm Brett King. And I'm Jason Henricks. Every week since 2013, we explore the personalities, startups, innovators, and industry players driving disruption in financial services. From incumbents to unicorns, and from cutting-edge technology to the people using it to help create a more innovative, inclusive, and healthy financial future. I'm J.P. Nichols, and this is Breaking Banks. As we mentioned on last week's show, Amber Bucher and I spent four days in Las Vegas at Money 2020. We aired my interview with Cody Barbo, founder of Trust and Will, and we have a lot more coming up from here. Amber, have you recovered? JP, I have barely recovered, but I did. I did get a chance to uh, to get some breathing room. I I know we were talking about maybe expensing an IV to help me get there, but luckily that was not necessary. Plenty of Halloween candy fueled that process. Well, what I recall still laughing at your answer, Jason asked how you felt, and you said, "I need vegetables." <laughs> I did. I needed vegetables. Oh man, there's only so long that you can live off of like fried happy hour food without it starting to really take a toll. <laughs> what about you? How was your recovery? Uh, yeah, same. You know, I, I, that was my second business trip, first conference since the lockdown. So I'm definitely out of practice. And those were long days. You know, we started first thing in the morning and uh, then you have happy hours, dinners and after parties and, you know, went long into the night. So it was a, a long few days, but I'm kind of pleasantly surprised. I was really glad to see old friends, make some new ones. And we talked to a lot of interesting people on the show. So I, I'm glad I was there. Vegas felt a little bit different for me, though. What about you? Yeah, Vegas did feel a little bit different. There was a little less hustle and bustle Um Unless you count the EDM convention that was there, <laughs> <laughs> electronic dance music with some wacky costumes. Um, we have to talk little... about that, but keep going. <laughs> yeah, there's a little less hustle and bustle, um, but you know it's still Vegas, bright lights, slot machines everywhere. Um, as far as the conference went, it was actually pretty similar to past years. I thought a lot of people were, if anything, people were more excited to be there to your point, JP, all of this, um, pent up demand of not being able to travel for the last year. I feel like people were very grateful to be able to hang out with others. And everyone was very gracious when you were out of practice with your small talk. I feel like there was a lot of grace there. (laughs) Yeah, what have you been up to? Uh, locked in my house. How about you? Yes, same thing. <laughs> right. Not much to say. <laughs> but yeah, you know, uh, there were lots of conventioners, 8,000 people at Money 2020. Mm-hmm. I know there were some other shows that I, I saw as I was in some different hotels and talking to taxi drivers and all that. It wasn't quite up to full speed, but there were a few conventions. And then everybody else, it seemed like, was was kind of the, the down market uh, crowd. It, it wasn't all the beautiful people who... I, I think I said to you, normally you come here and everybody looks like they're on the cast of Entourage, and this time everybody just looked <laughs> like they were turtle. Yes. Um, yeah, definitely the folks that are not afraid to get out because they, you know, wh- what COVID? What? <laughs> that happened? That was a thing? <laughs> right. Well, you know, we, we both flew in early on Sunday morning, and then there was a home Raiders game against the Eagles. And so I saw a ton of uh, Raiders jerseys and hats and quite yeah, a few Philadelphia. Was- that was pretty cool. Um, even at the hotel, I was at the Mirage, and they let all of their front desk staff wear different football jerseys, which was definitely something I've never seen before. Well, and and I mentioned to you that I'm, sports betting has always been a thing. It's, it's always gone on there, but it is so prominent now. It's probably been a good two years plus since I've been to Las Vegas. And so many ads for the gambling apps and the sports books and the Circa Hotel downtown has a massive, I think, a two-story um, sports book. All, all the, the sports book lounges have uh, you know, been moved front and center and remodeled with uh, bigger and better TVs and all of that. And all the TVs, m- many more TVs than before uh, across the casino floors and all of them airing sports events. Yeah, it was definitely a, a little bit different feel. It was a nice addition, though. Well, I want to talk about the interviews we have come out. But before we do, I, I've got to mention the EDM Festival, the Electronic Dance Music <laughs> Festival. So so it's a thinly disguised um, excuse for a rave, basically. And yes. there were people in uh, very, very skimpy outfits and, uh, you know, tutus and fishnets and, uh, you know, all uh, bright colors and all different Lots kinds of things. Lots of faux fur. I saw a lot, lot of faux fur. 
Yeah, and glow sticks <laughs> and uh, all of that. And at first, I didn't realize that that was in town too. And I just thought this is what Raiders fans dress up like. <laughs> so I don't know to what degree there was any overlap with the football fans, uh, if if at all. But uh, I didn't see any of those folks in the Venetian at Money 2020. No, sadly, I, that would have been great to have that to like punch up the the typical business casual there. <laughs> That's true. It was kind of back to normal. But we did have 8,000 people there from bankers to investors to entrepreneurs to uh, you know industry names and pundits. Um, good to just get back in the middle of all of that. Um, I, we, we talked about uh, Cody Barbo already uh, last week. And uh, tell us about some of the interviews you have coming up and uh, what, what can folks expect to hear in upcoming episodes. Yeah, I got to talk to a pretty broad swath of folks that were at the event. I tend to be drawn to folks that are somewhat adjacent to financial services. So one of the conversations that I enjoyed the most was with the head of behavioral science for Frog, which is a really well-known um, design firm that does a lot of work with USAA, actually, is how I became to know them. Um, but I spoke with Matt Wallert there. We talked a lot about um, just behavioral science. And one of the things that was so interesting about that conversation was that he was saying that every behavior is basically driven by two counter forces. One is inhibiting pressure and one is promoting pressure. And a lot of times in financial services, we focus on the promoting pressure. What kind of benefit or reward can we give someone to make them use our card? Um, but but we actually need to pay a little bit more attention to the inhibiting pressures, what's stopping them from adopting that behavior too. So that was really interesting. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that kind of boils down to the the real shorthand. We talk about vitamins and painkillers, right? And right. and in product management, um, people tend to buy painkillers, not vitamins. Yeah, for sure. Also got a chance to speak to John Sun, the CEO of Spring Labs, which is a really interesting um, group that's really using tokenization to protect sensitive data. By doing that, they can this group can actually share data working with financial institutions already to do this on the blockchain, which is something really interesting. I know all of our banks at Alloy Labs are really interested in figuring out how we can anonymize and share data um, and use that to have make better decisions. So uh, that was another really good one. Several others coming up um, of the banks that we did talk to, uh, got to speak with BBVA on sustainability. And then um, of course, Valley Bank, which made a big announcement on the payments front. Right. We have a great conversation coming right up with um, Stuart Cook from Valley Bank, and they have really been uh, on the forefront of uh, innovation. They've been in the news lately, so we'll, we'll not steal his thunder and let him talk about that. And and like you, I also tried to look outside of the norm, not just those people that were digitizing, gathering deposits and making loans. And um, while we did talk to a few banks uh, interested in their perspective, what they were there for and what they were looking at, um, Kurt K. Ruse from Tab Bank and David Ryling from Sunrise Banks. Uh, we also talked to Arnaud um, Alger from BNP Paribas and some of the things they're doing. Very innovative bank from Europe. But some of the fintech companies, um, Philip Ashley Klein from Finlake, Finlink, which builds themselves as the future of treasury technology. So trying to look at those things, again, beyond the loans and deposits, a couple of different um, plays on the payment space in the small business world and commercial world, uh, Itamar Giovanni from PayM, Roger Gu and Rebecca Sheehan from Embers. And then um, there's also a conversation coming up with Cindy O'Neill from Bilgo. And finally, um, rounding out my interviews, a handy fam from Mark has who says they have built the world's most comprehensive database on small businesses and talks about some of the pain points of you know, trying to find partners that you can trust in the small business world. And if you think about how much we rely on credit bureaus in the consumer space and how the equivalent of that on the business side is not really quite so robust. So I think in all of these areas, we found some companies that are doing some interesting things that I think pretend to what the future may look like in fintech and financial services. You mentioned a couple of the banks that you talked with um, who are involved or getting involved in banking as a service. And that's one of the things that I thought was pretty interesting about this year compared to years previous at Money 2020. 
uh, less financial institutions present overall from what I could tell. But what I thought was interesting was that the ones that were there were actually there in a business development capacity, many of them. Um, So Coastal Community Bank had their CCBX brand out with a big booth, Sutton, Evolve, all of these folks were there. Um, Unlike in years past where a community bank would have been there to find someone to help them kind of replumb banking or, you know, figure out how to do partnerships. Mm -hmm. uh, These banks are there to, to actually serve a lot of the fintechs that are there on the floor as well. So I thought that was an interesting shift. What about the conference for? It was huge. Uh, I've noticed that people's investment in booths have gone way up, right? The, the few that just had a little table and the curtain were kind of shoved in the back. And I think we're really feeling FOMO because uh, these were some big time, you know, in some cases, uh, multi-story and, you know, uh, fitted with full bars and everything else. What did you see yes. on the conference floor that caught your eye? Yeah, I mean, those big displays were hard to miss, although I will say a couple of them have been around for a few years. I've seen them a couple of years now, so maybe it's time to uh, redecorate. Uh, They were really interesting. One of the things that I loved this year was that a lot of these smaller stages were kind of inserted onto the what you would think of as a typical expo floor. Um, One of the stages that I got to spend some time at was called the Utopia stage. And that's where the conference hosted a series of ones to watch. And so these were really interesting um, talks. They were very quick, kind of 10 minute pitches. Um, But I found out about these through my friend, Kelly Eiffel, who is the founder and CEO of Guava, which is a bank for black small business owners. Um, She was on that stage giving a talk and I got to hang out and hear a few of the other folks that were there. Some really amazing companies with very diverse young founders, folks like Pinwheel that are doing a payroll API, Honeybee, which gives companies financial uh, literacy tools for their employees, um, and then Catch, which is really cool, giving benefits to folks that don't have benefits, so like gig workers. And um, I just thought it was really fitting that they put all of these very you know, idealistic go-getter changing the status quo speakers on the utopia stage. I thought that was pretty poetic. (laughs) Well, I was really glad to see that. And there was an uptick in diversity here um, that I hadn't noticed as much in the back. And I know that was a conscious decision by the organizers. Uh, So, yep, the big players were there, as you would expect, but there were uh, some more non-traditional takes, and that's certainly what we tried to focus on and what we saw in, in the interviews that we brought through was were those that were really trying to take a little bit different cut at this. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm glad. I was, I'm happy to see that. Well, we have a lot of great content coming up today and in coming weeks here um, coming from Money 2020. So stay tuned and uh, you'll hear it all here on Breaking Banks. All right. My name is Amber Buecher. I'm so excited to be here with JP Nichols, co-host extraordinaire. And we are here today to talk to Stuart Cook. Stuart is the chief digital product officer at Valley Bank, and they've got a really exciting announcement that they're making this week. So, Stuart, how are you doing? What's the announcement? Yeah, I'm doing great, actually. It's, um, it's good to be back. Uh, Money 2020, um, longtime attendee, uh, first time speaker. And uh, we were uh, really stoked to announce uh, a closed loop uh, wallet payment solution for um, the cannabis industry today. Valley Pay? Valley Pay. Valley Pay. Awesome. Very exciting. (laughs) Now, you guys have been in the cannabis industry for a while now. I think you're working with some really interesting names. You're serving a really unique piece of that market, which is multi-state operators. That's right. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, it's not a natural place to start for um, for a regional community bank to think about the cannabis industry. And I'm really happy that um, actually the nucleus of um, this whole program actually came out of our compliance team. Um, and we had some early work around, uh, you know, how could we reframe and rethink what we what we do for certain niche markets. Um, and that, that idea was um, iterated on and owned by our, uh, our compliance team. And we've been really deliberate um, about our progress, um, how, how we build capability around uh, compliance, um, both in the kind of onboarding of these operators, but also um, how we get into the 
into the payment and understand the compliance that's required around the payment. Um, so as we went to market, um, again, we, we looked at you know, a partner that we could work with and, and understand and, and leverage their kind of experience in this. And, you know, I'm really happy with the progress that we've made. Um, we bank five out of the top 10 um, multi-state operators right now. We have a fraction of their business, but it's pretty substantial. Um, and uh, it's all cash. And, you know, cash is a, a huge problem in this industry. Well, there's so much to unpack there, but I got to back you up first. This came from compliance. T tell us more about that. What was that conversation and what was the initial opportunity or problem that they wanted to address? We, um, so as we, and it was one of the um, big reasons that I came to work at Valley Bank. Working for a bank was definitely not on my horizon. I'd spent 15 years in fintech and um, coming back to banking, um, I wouldn't have predicted it. And one of the reasons that I was um, excited to, um, to join Valley was our focus on how could we um, serve niches um, in the US? Um, how could we serve particular segments of, of, business, of business and really truly understand their needs and unmet needs? So I think you know, for a lot of institutions, trying to be the everything bank for everybody it, it's it's a it's a, a long road to hoe, and you know you're competing against a money center bank. It's it's difficult, and so for us, we've in, internally we've thought you know quite deeply about okay, so w where are the opportunities? Where might we fit? What are the market trends that are, are happening? So we have a number of internal kind of innovation programs at work, and um, this was seeded there, and. Um, I mean, I can share that um, it it took some work, you know, to get our board comfortable that we were going to be um, banking cannabis. But yeah, it was led by our, our compliance team, which is fantastic. Was this driven by the issues that cash from those customers presented, and they they wanted to make that safer, and that's why you kind of pursued Valley Pay? Um, so. As you know, as we've been growing in the market, so um, and bringing on these multi-state operators, we heard it loud and clear from from our from our customers. Um, and you know, um, this is a unique proposition because essentially it's a closed-loop system, but we're issuing and acquiring. But on the uh, when I talk about our customers, I'm talking about these multi-state operators, and they you know, we have customers that are moving millions of dollars of cash a day. Um, so yeah, there's a logistical problem around that that we've helped them solve, but clearly, it's not the right solution. Like getting cash out of these businesses and and all of the advantages that that can bring in terms of uh, efficiency, but also building lifetime value for um, for those businesses around their customers. You know, actually, uh, cash um, makes it's not impossible. To, it makes that a lot more difficult. I think you guys had a pretty deep partnership with a transportation company to help solve some of those problems. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, and and so it, it's very very expensive um, business, and so I, I I wouldn't say that we approached it with a Bezos mindset, but there's there's a lot of opportunity in some of those margins. Um, so that's how we went to market, how we built some of these relationships, and um, you know, clear. Clearly, moving these payments um, to a digital rail, is, it creates a lot of opportunity for, for us and, and for those businesses. I want to go back to what you said about the board and getting some buy-in <laughs> with this whole cannabis thing. Uh, Valley is a, is a great bank, been you know very solid, consistent performance. This is a big, <laughs> different thing to oh, take yeah. on. So what were some of those executive conversations like? Um, so 94-year-old bank, um, predominantly on the uh, sort of eastern seaboard, um, very traditional um, distribution strategy So that, that we see in this industry. We understood that to grow the bank, and, and we, we're definitely serious about growing this institution, um, that we would have to rethink how we went to market and the type of industry segments that we might serve. So for, for the board, um, there's buy-in on that strategy, but um, you know people can't help being nervous about the situation. Like we're gonna we're gonna take drug money, 
but of course it's it's legal. It's legal in 18 plus states. We have the sort of com complication around the federal sort of rules around this. Um, but it's highly regulated at state level um, and um, we were able to demonstrate to, um, to the board that you can do this. You can provide safe and compliant banking to, to businesses like this that are you know, hugely ambitious. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that was a journey that we went on. You brought in a lot of people to go on this journey too. I think you guys have been hiring like crazy, bringing folks over from really amazing tech companies like Move. What's that been like? It's a challenge. Um, I was uh, very deliberate uh, about our hiring strategy here. So, um, you know, I've been in FinTech for a while now uh, before it was called FinTech. We didn't have the words. And we, um, you know, as you, th as you think about um, transforming this industry, most people's gut feel is it's not going to be from within, right? Everybody's obsessed with the disruption that um, FinTech is bringing. Um, but I think there's a pretty unique opportunity here to do it from within. If you can get the right culture um, in place and you can get the right people and the right level of empowerment. And a lot of that's about the sort of risk appetite that a bank has and how they think about um, you know, how they manage that risk. So for us, um, when I joined, I was very, as I say, very deliberate. I didn't hire anybody to begin with because I wanted to understand like how things happened around here, how we got stuff done or not. And, um, you know, the words I use is we're, I don't talk about digital transformation at Valley, I talk about cultural transformation. So um, as we've um, experimented with a, um, you know, a few product solutions here, I've, I've begun to understand like how we can move fast. So the thing that we um, talked about today, Valley Pay, from, um, ideation to um, MVP four months. So wow. that's the type of cadence that I would want to operate in if I was in a, uh, in a FinTech. So how do you bring the, the people in? Well, you know, if you can give them those sort of tools and these kind of problems, there's something particularly intriguing um, about this as an industry and as, as a problem to solve. Um, and you can empower these folks um, yeah, people get interested. Um, so yeah, I've drawn heavily on my network, but but not solely. Well, this isn't the first innovative thing Valley Bank has done. So talk a little bit, maybe bigger picture. How long have you been, you know, iterating on MVPs and and being able to take on things that you know might give traditional bank boards um, <laughs> more heartburn than they would like? Um, so. I joined two and a half years ago. I spent the first sort of six months or so, and we worked on another um, uh, niche segment, which is HOA banking. So, ninety billion HOA dollars. homeowners associations. Homeowner associations, yeah. So, ninety billion dollar um, market when you think about it. In assessments that are uh, collected each year on roughly a quarter of a million um, HOAs. Um, when you look at the way that they're served from a banking perspective. Nobody's really got under the skin of what their needs are and what their kind of unmet needs are. Um, so we did a lot of discovery work. Um, and again, this is kind of um, teaching, I suppose, and demonstrating like, this is this is how we bring a product culture to, to a bank. So typically when you talk about products in a bank, it's like, oh, I know what that is. That's checking, that's savings, right. that's loans. The same products everybody else has. <laughs> <laughs> and when I say it, I'm talking about um, a sort of customer-centric mindset. So really getting under the skin of what our customers are experiencing and what their needs are uh, and unmet needs. And so um, that was a really great way for me to learn, one, how the bank worked because we um, we built a lot of stuff in the cloud. So I'd come from, I was CTO of FinTech and I put everything in Amazon and automated everything. And then when I got to the bank, uh, are we cloud? told Azure so we um, created the service on Azure and we used um, machine learning services on Azure and we used serverless functions on on, on Azure and um, yeah that's that's a lot for certain folks to get their their heads around um, so we that was um, really instrumental in um, 
you know, moving to some of the more modern ways of working and using the more modern technologies. And we're doing the stuff that everybody else is doing, right? So we're doing account opening and um, we have our um, online banking and, and mobile banking. Um, to me, those are those are table stakes. Right? So I often joke, you're, you're not going to differentiate with account opening other than being, oh, I won't swear, being worse <laughs> than others. Right. Uh, that's not the terms I normally use. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we get that, Amber, right? Yeah. And it's a conversation we have with banks every day. Um, last kind of follow-up along that track. So you've talked about technology-driven innovation and product and customer-led innovation, yep. and we've talked a little bit about the board. It sounds like it's starting to get all around the bank. What's the next frontier for kind of the next level of you know, innovativeness that, that you want to bring to Valley Bank? Um, I'm really interested. Um, so we've made some um, venture investments and we're trying to understand how we get closer to the kind of market-based solutions um, in the market. And we're fairly active in a, a fund called Jam Fintop um, that we were very early in that discussion and we're the lead investor in that, in that fund. I think um, there's opportunity for banks to actually think about the industry problems that um, that we have. Um, we could all spend probably half a day in front of a whiteboard and write a, a hundred um, problem statements or opportunity areas. I'd like to see us, you know, creating market solutions and spinning them out of the bank. Um, having been on the other side of this and created um, businesses that have served um, this banking landscape, it's, it's really hard. It's hard to really get to know a bank, um, to know their customers, to understand their problems. And I think there's some uniqueness for us as a bank, understanding the industry problems. And I think you could really, um, you know, you could really create some enterprise value and some, um, you know, some genuine leadership um, in the space. So that's, that's one of our focuses at the moment. Like, how do we bring that to life? I think you've talked in the past about how the best digital propositions are always human centered. Mm -hmm. A lot of bankers believe themselves to be incredibly human centered because relationships are so important to what they do. But how do you kind of educate your coworkers about what human centered design means and, and how we can start to really get to the heart of what the customer wants? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to say that we built um, a UX service um, and design and research capability at, at Valley. So we, we take this really seriously. Um, a lot of it is, um, this is another theme of mine, is, is moving from a project-based culture of execution to a product-focused um, culture of execution. So what I mean by that is a lot of banks are embarking on um, some of these initiatives and they're, they're trying to you know, ship the silver bullet um, and actually what we should be focused on is iteration, um, testing and learning and, and being close to our customers. And so um, for, for me, the um, interesting thing with, with Valley was that DNA of relationship. Um, we really want to explore how digital can enable that. Um, and uh, that goes beyond just digitizing back office processes. It's really to think through um, how does digital play with physical um, locations? How do we think about customer acquisition, customer servicing? Um, and honestly, the, the the way that we drive this is through execution and demonstrating some of the, re the results. So as we've um, shipped some of these things and tested and, and learned um, over the last couple of years, it's 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 created that culture of kind of execution, of rapid iteration, that's actually pretty hard for banks. It is. <laughs> Leave it there. So what's what's next? <laughs> well, um, when it comes to the cannabis industry, I'm, um, you know, uh, my previous startup was a, a loyalty and incentive platform. Um, we, um, what we've launch today i mean it's a, it's a it's starbucks for the cannabis trade right it's a closed loop payment system um and it's crying out for um a loyalty solution built around the payment um and helping the 
businesses build the lifetime value of their customers. So our near-term roadmap on the on the wallet is to think through um, how we execute on some of that. Also, it's intriguing. Um, the regulation in um, the cannabis industry means that um, we have kind of line of sight into the supply chain. So when the transaction's happening at the point of sale, we know from seed to sale what's um, what's happened with that product. Um, and yeah, that gets me pretty jazzed about, well, okay, with that level of data and insight, what are the kinds of um, financial products and services that we might better bring to market. A lot of these businesses are cash-based. Um, access to capital is really difficult for them. Um, we've done some early kind of um, concierge type services to help some of these folks with access to capital. Um, but there's something there that I'm really keen to explore as well. One of our cannabis tech friends has said that the days of the stoner owner are gone. I think that's really, really important for listeners to understand that these are really highly complex multi-state organizations that are real businesses. Can you talk about what it's been like to expose some of some of your teammates perhaps to that culture? Um, we're, we're really excited. So, um, you know, I've got... Um, a number of payment experts now at, at Valley, and um, as they get under the skin of you know the the data that's involved here, um, and how we can build out some of these solutions, um, you know we're, we're we're suckers for that kind of problem solving. It's, it's like a it's like Christmas every day for us for that kind of stuff. Um, I'm yeah I I think we're going to see legalization. Um, I don't think it changes greatly um, what it means to safely bank cannabis just because it becomes legal. It doesn't mean it's not regulated. So for us, the um, the early exposure that we've got to building our capability around uh, compliance and compliance in the transaction, I think, is you know that's really exciting for us because that's that gives us a leg up. I, I believe. I have to ask, have you, or maybe more importantly, anybody from the board been watching Billions this season? I haven't watched Billions, no. Right, so I'll, I'll, try <laughs> gonna, to go, I'll try to go easy on the spoiler alerts, but <laughs> the protagonist, Bobby Axelrod, hedge fund billionaire, um, his raison d'etre this season is to own a bank, and uh, so he seeks to own a bank, and he seeks to um, rake in massive deposits through a cannabis company. Yeah. And of course, there are massive um, conflicts around, uh, you know, ambiguities around federal law, and um, you know, having robust enough anti-money laundering requirements and all of that. So, a fair warning. I have to watch uh, that. Yeah, a, a, you need to watch it, and B, you need to be prepared. You will know that when you get the email if a board member has seen yeah, the last couple of episodes this season. That's awesome. Yeah. I'll check that out. Stuart, what do you wish we would have asked you? Oh, that's like my interview question. <laughs> um, I think, you know, for us, the journey that we're on is, you know, where will Valley Bank be in, in five years? Um, and for me, uh, uh, that would be a question I'd be keen to answer. So I, I, I think we're... Um, this is an inter interesting time in this industry, right? There's a lot of consolidation happening. Um, that's part of our future. We're an acquisitive bank. Um, we very clearly want to grow this bank. Um, but we really want to grow um, our ability to serve these niche segments. And so that's um, where I see us in, in five years. Like We, we want to be up there. We're probably, if, if you compared US-owned institutions, Knocking on the top 25 now, we, we really want to be pushing into the into the top 10. Big ambitions. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today, Stuart. Yeah, it. It's been a Thank pleasure. You. And Thanks. we look forward to seeing what Valley does next. Thank you. Thanks for having me. If you work for a bank or a credit union, you already know that this strategic planning and budgeting season is filled with more uncertainty and risk than ever before. And the answers you need aren't in your boardroom or in your spreadsheet models. At Alloy Labs, we've worked with some of the most innovative financial institutions in the world. And our industry-leading tools and frameworks can help you create clarity out of chaos and prioritize what are always limited resources to help you defend and extend your existing business 
while you're creating viable options for the future. From intensive corporate programs custom-tailored for your situation and your team, to bite-sized digital workshops where you can learn from multiple bank perspectives, we can help you forge ideas into results quickly and cheaply. Learn more at AlloyLabs.com. Times of great change are also times of great opportunity, and the time to act is now. AlloyLabs.com. Hi, this is Brett King, the host of Breaking Banks, and I want to tell you about the brand new book Richard Petty and I have coming out in November called The Rise of Techno-Socialism. This new book examines the philosophy of humanity as a species and how the 21st century is going to be the most disruptive, contentious period humanity has ever lived through. During the pandemic alone, we saw the wealth of the world's billionaires surpass $10 trillion for the first time. The richest 1% of Americans today hold more wealth than the bottom 90% and often don't pay taxes. Unemployment skyrocketed during the pandemic in 2020. But in reality, artificial intelligence could disrupt even more jobs, up to 80% of jobs today. The new industries we're creating will ironically face labour shortages because we simply aren't training our students with the right skills today. In the first 20 years of the 21st century, we saw protests double from the 20th century averages, while attendance at these protests climbed over a thousand percent. At the heart of this is economic uncertainty about our future. And this is being amplified by the pandemics. It will be amplified by AI and automation, climate change, and of course, inequality. So how will the next 30 years play out? AI has the potential to disrupt, but also to reframe government, making big government small. Universal health care, free education, universal basic income, and massive mobilization of resources to mitigate climate change will all be part of the response needed to these seismic changes. The realization that humanity needs to work together may be the biggest lesson of all. In techno-socialism, we examined four possible futures, and three of those possible futures result in a chaotic and divisive world with rolling crises. But one possible future, what we call techno-socialism, makes possible an inclusive, planned and emerging society where broad prosperity is possible. The book is out for global release in November. Feel free to check out www.riseoftechnosocialism.com for more information on the book and where you can get your copy. I'd be very grateful for your support and consideration of this new book, The Rise of Technosocialism. Well, Cindy O'Neill from Bilgo joins me now. Uh, Bilgo made a big announcement last week. Let's start by telling us about that. Yeah, absolutely. We upgraded our unchecked platform and launched Bilgo Exchange. And this is our supplier or biller portal that uh, offers billers a whole different uh, and modernized experience. Well, that's a big leap forward, right? Yes, absolutely. I think uh, what we're really excited about is that in the past, we've always just focused on the consumer right. or the payer, the corporate payer, and, and less has been uh, less focus has been on the biller or the supplier. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and that's been our recurring theme this week of uh, all the folks that we've talked to is we're really kind of looking beyond. And not that there isn't plenty of interesting things on the consumer side, but mm-hmm. there's so much more complexity on the biller side or the, the B2B side. And so so what are some of the, the problems you were trying to tackle right. with the Bill Go Exchange? Right. Well, I always say that there's been so much emphasis placed on delivering capabilities for consumers or corporate payers. And you can be willing to make a payment, but if there's no recipient of that payment who is willing and able to take in a virtual card payment or an ACH payment, then the ecosystem doesn't work. So what we've done is we've offered an experience where um, that your biller will have the ability to have the same capabilities as their payer. So. so how did you come about this idea? How, how did this make it onto the product roadmap? Well, I will say that that what I really like about Bilgo and one reason I came here is just the emphasis on making sure that the the billers were also equal. They were equal in the um, in the payment stream, and uh, and we really are eliminating the friction that they have to accept payments. So it's not just you know the billers 
they are there's friction involved when you have to pay there's because if you're a micro biller or a small biller you might have high uh, merchant fees um also the other is that it's not a seamless experience. So today, if you're getting a virtual card as a biller, you're often receiving an email or being asked or redirected to log into a portal. Once there, you get your payment, but you still have to key in it and process it with your merchant terminal. And then you have to reconcile it into your accounting platform. So what we wanted to do is really take a look and do a deep dive on the biller to find out what pain they have when they are receiving these electronic payments and solve for that. What was the biggest aha you had as you were digging into those pains? We like to call it email and portal fatigue, because if you think about it, these yeah, billers, yeah, the billers are getting 10 different emails with different login information. Um, and to retrieve their card payment, they might enter a zip code as a password or a four digit pen, or they're directed to a portal that then they have to remember a different user ID and password. And they're just fatigued. And so it's easier just to say, send me a check. Right, right. And as a consumer, I, I speak only for myself, but I do want to have control over that, right? Mm -hmm. When I send the payment, I don't want to I have kind of the flip side of that is, you know, 12 different companies that are expecting payments from me, or maybe recurring, maybe not, and mm -hmm. different logins and all that stuff. So being able to centralize all that, you know, probably solves some pain points on the consumer side too, I assume. Yeah, that's exactly right. They can make their payment. They don't have to worry about the method in which the biller wants to be paid because we do all that hard work for them. Now, you mentioned uh, those were reasons why you joined Bilgo. Where were you before and how long have you been Bilgo? Well, I Well, I have been in banking for 17 years and then I was at Visa and then I went the fintech route and worked on the, uh, spent 30 years in commercial payments working yeah. on the AP and issuing side. So this has been a real transformation because one of the problems that we encountered is you can have a fantastic accounts payable platform and process. But again, if you don't have a biller or a supplier that can accept, it doesn't work. Yeah. So you've been on all sides of it. Yep. Yeah. So are you are bank partners involved in this? Um, so we do use, so we have a variety of partners, and but we actually work with partners, uh, fintechs and banks, mm -hmm. and creating a network of network effects. So I think this mm -hmm. is what makes the Bilgo Exchange very unique is because we've created an open network. And this is really the first time that this concept has been leveraged in this, and especially in B2B, because it's always been one buyer to one supplier. But if you're enrolled into the Bilgo uh, network, then you are an open acceptor. So anyone who's trying to make a payment, whether consumer or commercial entity to one of our billers in network, we will process it and they will accept it. Yeah. And that will start to take on additional value as that network grows, right? That, that's exactly right. And yeah. so um, we like to say that we're partnering with other networks. So it's the network of network effect. Mm. And then that way we get more, more of the payments off of check. Mm. So where does it go from here then? What, what are the next iterations on growing out the network and well, the exchange. Yeah, so thanks for asking. This was phase one, was the whole rebrand and, and launch of Bilgo Exchange. And the next phase is really to take it to the next level, to um, to tie in, to make it completely friction, you know, seamless and frictionless where we uh, process the payment, where we can plug in payfat capabilities uh, that we reconcile, and we're already doing this, we can reconcile that transaction into their accounting platform. Um, text pay capabilities in servicing you know the the biller and their customers in a different way to make it a seamless experience for all parties mm. well and you're here live at mm -hmm. uh, money 2020 in las vegas so what brings you here are, are you looking for partners or are you looking for uh, new pieces of technology to help you know continue that that expansion what, what what's your main objective yeah, this week absolutely you know we um we're here working with some banking partners to to identify how we can work together to help them remove the or to eliminate the dependency on paper checks and mm -hmm. how we can partner together to do that we're working with other fintech partners to to do the same we are partnering with bsps uh to, who have large biller communities to see how we can uh have the network of network effects um and you know we're really just trying to to figure out what the new technology is and there's great partners out there they're doing push payments and text to pay and contactless enrollment um so we're really looking at all avenues yeah, I have to laugh when you say, you know, elimination of paper checks. Haven't we been saying that for 25 <laughs> years now? We have. Yeah. But if you look at a study that was done uh, 10 years ago by RPMG on the B2B side, the, the needle has not moved that much. So we yeah. still in the small business world, we have over 70% of small businesses are still 
getting paper checks, where yeah. if you move upstream, it's still over 50%. Uh, that's an interesting point. So, um, I, I, and I haven't read that study. So has it gone down on the consumer side? Sure has for me, right? I think the only check I write every year is to the IRS, right? But uh, it's gone, my it's, tax <laughs> It has gone down on the consumer side, but less so on the B2B side. Mm -hmm. But I think with COVID, that with people not being in their offices to receive checks or in their offices to get invoices and write checks, that we're starting to see more of the needle shift to electronic. Mm -hmm. From not just from the payment, but also from the invoicing and the supply, you know, the whole supply chain. So 25 years been wrong so far. Any new predictions <laughs> as we wrap up 2021 and head into 2022? How many more years we're still slinging paper checks around here? I, I'm not sure that we will ever completely eliminate yeah. paper checks, but I think that with partnerships, um, like what we're doing with, you know, Zolux Payments, who's an electronic lockbox, right. we each have our own payments waterfall. So as we have payments coming into our network for billers, if we can't address it in our waterfall, we will bump it up against our partner's waterfall and vice versa. So we're doing everything we can as an industry to eliminate the checks. Yeah. Well, and if Brett was here, he, he would probably then add on to that. He, he's been predicting the demise of the uh, plastic credit card in our, <laughs> our wallets, too. What, what are your thoughts on on that? You, you mentioned you know virtual cards and, and payments. So, uh, how, how far along are we in that game? How much more do we have to go, do you think? I think, again, with COVID, you use a lot of you know contactless right. transactions. Right. But I think just like people are comfortable having a physical check and writing it, a lot of people are really comfortable having that plastic in hand. So yeah. I think it's just, it's, it's going to be a phase that I think is going to be another 10 years. Do you think the commercial application or the, the, the business side of that will move that faster? Uh, potentially. I th Seems like it to me. Right. You, so you mean from a, a business travel or a B2B perspective? Well, yeah. And we've had a couple of conversations this week uh, around different applications around virtual cards mm -hmm. and procurement and uh, internal yeah. spend and, and all of that stuff. And one of the, one of the people we talked to uh, said, you know, the actual moving of the dollars from point A to point B, we've solved that, right? right? You know, for businesses, mm -hmm. it's, there's so many other levels of complexity. And for the consumer, there aren't that many other levels. And we can talk about this piece of plastic in my wallet is outdated. But it's not broken, right? right. It, it works. I can, right. I can, I pick it out and I can use it. And increasingly, you know, it is contactless, uh, mm -hmm. you know, with, within an inch or so right. at least. Right. Um, but on the business side, it seems like there's a more applications that that maybe we drive more towards, um, you know, plasticless, just as we had to paperless right. on the business side. I think it's convenience, really. If you think about the convenience to the payer and the payee, and if um, just as an example on securing. An event, um, we needed to make a payment, and rather than use my physical plastic card, we spun up a one-time use virtual card to make a deposit on a venue. So I think we are starting to see that happen more frequently. Um, again, I think the tools for, especially with virtual card payments, has really been um, that has been it's, uh, that's been more of a B two B focus than it has been a consumer focus. But we are starting to see more one-time use cards with the consumer side. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's the kind of direction I yeah. was, I was mm -hmm. thinking about when I asked that. Um, so what have you seen here so far in Vegas that have caught your eye? Any, anything new and exciting that um, you, you want to go learn more about? Right. Well, I had the opportunity to participate on a blockchain uh, panel, and there's a lot of buzz right now about what's happening with blockchain and cryptocurrencies. Mm. And um, so I think yes, that that's, yeah. So I think that's going to be really interesting to see how we uh, incorporate that into our, our solutions. So, so what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think it's, it's, in fact, I had a conversation with the CEO of a fintech company, and we were talking about the fact that um, blockchain is almost like AI. Everybody's really mm -hmm. interested. It mm -hmm. sounds, you know, cool. I want to say it. I yeah, want to hear it. it. I want to write it. But not sure yeah. how, it's still complex, and they're yeah. not sure how to deploy it within their own product solutions. Right. I, I, no question. Uh, super intriguing technology mm -hmm. that will absolutely be a part of the future. I, I often think about it as, you know, 20, 25 years ago, if I could have, you know, traveled to the future and come back, I would have told you, hey, future, everybody's going to be on computers. We're all going to have tiny supercomputers in our pocket mm -hmm. and they're all going to be connected, you know, somehow wirelessly. But we still could have made a whole bunch of wrong bets on which companies and which technologies and all of that. And that's where I kind of feel we are. So it's not that I'm a, a, right. a cryptocurrency or a blockchain denier, but, um, you know, we, we were joking earlier. I, 
Um, you know, Brett's certainly the, the futurist on the show. I call myself the 30-day futurist, right? What are the <laughs> things that we can do in the next 30 days to actually make progress? And so um, where I'm most interested is those specific use cases. And I, mm-hmm. and I do think there mm-hmm. are a number of them. Um, but at the flip side, there's an awful lot of technology looking for good use cases too, right. which is why something like Money 2020 is interesting because, right. you know, sometimes the people with the good technology run into people who have the good use cases. Right. No, I think that's true. And if you think about um, how we're doing using tokenization for cards like within Apple Pay and Google Pay, you, 75% of businesses have experienced some type of fraud. And so this is what the purpose of blockchain is. But again, it's how you incorporate it into your solutions. Yeah. And hundred percent of our hosts, I think, have experienced <laughs> some, some sort of uh, chain and, uh, you know, your card's been compromised. So here's a new one. Right. And all that. Well, good. Well, what, what else should we talk about? I didn't ask you. Oh, gosh. I, I think that, um, you know, maybe what, what one of the, another trend that I think that would be really interesting to talk about here is supply chain finance. That's another big one that everybody, that's the buzz. Yeah. And yeah, uh, talk about that. Yeah. Well, you think about like, again, even during COVID that you have suppliers who weren't getting paid. So they were going out of business and this is not, you know, they weren't in their office. They didn't get their, their, they didn't get their, their mail to open their checks. There's, um, or their, their, their customer couldn't make payments to them. So we're starting to see the emergence of more companies focusing on buy now, pay later, um, embedding that into the B2B transaction and consumer transactions too. So um, I think that we're going to see more financing options with banks and fintech partners. Yeah, I I was just talking about that um, the other day with somebody too. I think the buy now, pay later thing, um, most of us that are embedded in the industry didn't see that coming, mm-hmm. right? We couldn't see the forest for the trees. Right. Like, why is that a use case? You have credit cards, you have cash, you have equity lines, or you have all kinds of ways yeah. to pay for something. But um, good example of, you know, the the leaders in that space paying attention to what the customers really want, what right. the end users want. And as you talk about, you know, supply chain, and, and I think there's a lot on the other end, and, and that gets me back to well, there probably are some interesting use cases for blockchain around trade finance and right. um, you know global trade finance and um, you know bringing in shipments and you know mm-hmm. uh, when they clear customs being able to to, to trigger you know automatic payment through uh, you know an embedded contract and that sort of thing. Right. That that's exactly right. And just having a, a relative who works in the import export business, you've got ships that are sitting out there in port because they can't clear them. And and uh, I think that this is you know capability that would really, you know, help speed things along in the whole supply chain. So. Yeah, absolutely. Great. What else? Anything else? Oh gosh. Um, and then let me ask you a question on what you're hearing at money 2020. Oh, well, as I said at the top of the show, I, we purposely have been seeking out um, things a little bit more around the edge of, Mm -hmm. of the traditional, you know, debits and credits um, and, and definitely big focus on uh, small business and commercial. Uh, We're seeing some interesting things around, um, kind of the estate planning and settlement side. Um, uh, we're starting to hear more and more around um, uh, corporate and social responsibility and in mm-hmm. various flavors of, of that. Um, you know, probably more talk than action, but mm-hmm. some interesting um, ways people are thinking about technology to be able to help uh, in, improve the, the profiles of um uh, you know, people's carbon footprint and, and the way they're investing and moving money and that sort of thing. Um, so I, I, I like that we're moving beyond the consumer, even though there's there's still plenty there. Um, and uh, it, it's good to be back out again after uh, a long time not being out with the, in conferences and right. seeing other people. Well, it looks like people have been really busy, though, during the last uh, year and a half and coming up with some really great technology. So. Definitely. Yeah. Well, Cindy, thanks for joining us. Really glad to have you here today. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. That's it for this week. If you like the show, make sure to give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform or share it with a friend or share it on social media. We'll see you again next week with more Breaking Banks.